Coming up this week, Tesla updates the app to include some pretty cool Century Mode features. Volkswagen Group CEO Herbert Diess is in hot water for telling the truth. The first ever drag race between flying EV cars has taken place and more. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 85 of the EV Resource Podcast. I'm Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and answers to your questions about electric vehicles. Before we get started with the news this week, I want to thank our podcast partner, Titan Auto & Tire in Mosley, Virginia, for their support. Titan is one of the very few independent shops in Central Virginia that are qualified to work on EVs, and from hybrids to Hummers, they fix everything. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, go to TitanAutoTire.com. That's TitanAutoTire.com. Starting us off this week, Tesla has rolled out an app update that enables owners to remotely view what's happening around their vehicles in real time using their mobile phones. But that's not all. Aside from being able to watch around the car from a remote location, there's an especially cool feature Tesla implemented as well. While you've opened the live camera view of your parked Tesla, you can speak to those in close proximity to your vehicle. For every Tesla that was built after January of 2019, they have a special speaker installed as part of the pedestrian warning system, which is a requirement by NHTSA. So this makes the car safer because owners aren't going to run out to the car to investigate when sentry mode goes off. They'll just be able to open the phone and take a look at what's going on around the car. But in true Tesla nature, they've made the interaction with the cars a lot more fun as well. And I couldn't help resist playing with it myself. Step away from the Tesla. Step away from the Tesla. As you can tell, when broadcasting your voice through the vehicle's speaker, it changes the tone lower to make it sound perhaps more threatening or menacing. But most importantly, it masks the sound of your voice so that it's not easily identifiable. Next, Jonna Kreider of Clean Technica reports this week that Tesla has another update as usual. They have once again increased the pricing for their Model 3 and Model Y vehicles and in the process updated the pricing for their paint options. Pearl White has been now joined by the return of Midnight Silver Metallic as a standard option, thus giving buyers two free color options instead of just one, and much credit can be given to Earl, who is at 28 Days Later on Twitter, and Trevor Page at Model 3 Owners on Twitter. For that additional paint option, they both interacted with CEO Elon Musk to make suggestions. It was Trevor who suggested to Elon Musk that Tesla could give buyers two free options instead of one, and perhaps one of the most unique things about Tesla is how the CEO is always listening to his customers on Twitter and taking their advice on how to make Tesla vehicles better products. You don't see that too often with other companies. And perhaps the return of Midnight Silver Metallic won't be the only color option coming in the future. A drone flyover of the Shanghai Gigafactory by Jason Yang shows some Model 3s in a parking lot sporting many different colors of blue, red, turquoise, and even pink. 
And even though there has been talk about additional paint colors coming out of the Berlin Gigafactory when it's open, and possibly Austin when that's open, last year Tesla also announced that it would be offering factory wraps in China, and they announced that on an official social media account. And even though Tesla made the announcement last year, we haven't seen any confirmed examples of wraps done directly by Tesla yet. However, Tesla previously said that its wrap service would work through its delivery centers and not straight from the factory. And in this case, what we're looking at is vehicles that are in a parking lot at the factory. So who knows what these colors are and really what we can expect going forwards. But honestly, if it's a wrap or even if it's different paint options, uh, I'm excited for more options when it comes to color, as there are already many Tesla owners that have modified their cars either by changing the paint or by getting a wrap to personalize the vehicle to their own tastes. And as I mentioned, Tesla has also increased prices on the Model 3 and Model Y. All trim levels of both vehicles have received a $1,000 price increase, which now makes the rear-wheel drive, which formerly was called the Standard Range Plus, now it is a nearly $45,000 car. Prices for the Long Range and Performance Model 3 are now $50,990 and $58,990, respectively. And the Model Y Long Range is $57,990, and the Performance Model Y now costs $62,990. And while it can be argued that $1,000 isn't much, for some perspective, the entry-level Model 3 had cost as little as $37,000 earlier this year. On April 9th, when my family ordered our Model 3 Standard Range Plus, it was $37,490 as a base cost. Had this car, for us, been even $1,000 more at the time, we would not have been able to afford it. And now that it's nearly $8,000 more expensive, I can only think how many people were going to buy one but can't now. And now, not that it's hurting Tesla in any way, current demand for their vehicles is at an all-time high. For example, if you order a rear-wheel drive Model 3 or a long-range Model Y, the delivery estimate says that you'll be waiting until June of next year. Next, the American Congress has finally approved a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill to be sent to President Biden's desk that includes $7.5 billion for EV charger infrastructure. In addition to the money for EV charging, there was also $110 billion for roads, bridges, and other infrastructure, as well as $2.5 billion for low-emission buses and $2.5 billion for zero-emissions buses. While this is a clear win for the future adoption of EVs, one thing that was glaringly missing from the bill was the proposed reform of the EV tax credit of up to $12,500. That portion of the bill was moved into the Build Back Better Act in order to keep it alive, but separate from the infrastructure bill. The Build Back Better Act and its potential $12,500 EV credit still awaits passage following the CBO score and official congressional approval. And a lot can change between now and the official signature in the Oval Office, but here are the latest terms introduced earlier this week. And note that these exact terms are not confirmed. This is Nothing is set in stone until the bill has been officially passed. This is just, uh, at the time I'm recording this, what the current terms are. So the federal tax credit for EVs jumps from $7,500 to $12,500, provided that the EV meets a few criteria. It will keep the $7,500 incentive for new electric cars for five years. 
and then add an additional $4,500 for EVs assembled in the U.S. using union labor, and another $500 for EVs using battery packs with 50% of components, including their cells, made here in the U.S. Those that qualify include zero-emission vans, SUVs, and trucks with MSRPs up to $80,000, and that is actually increased from previously. Electric sedans priced up to $55,000 qualify. That has stayed the same. And the full EV tax credit will be available to individuals reporting adjusted gross incomes of $250,000 or less, $500,000 for joint filers, which has decreased from $400,000 for individuals and $800,000 for joint filers that is currently in place. EVs must be made in the U.S. starting 2027 to qualify for any of the $12,500 credit, and the new terms eliminate the tax credit cap after automakers hit that $200,000 EVs sold. So that would make vehicles from GM and Tesla once again eligible. So all eyes are going to be on Congress after it reconvenes after its week long recess. Next, the CEO of Volkswagen Group is again in a tough spot because of his seemingly obsessive focus on Tesla. Herbert Deese has made it his mission to catch up to and eventually beat Tesla as the auto industry shifts to electric vehicles. And now that Tesla is bringing the fight to Volkswagen's home turf of Germany, Deese is warning workers that their jobs could be in jeopardy if the giant automaker doesn't act quickly enough to switch over to making electric vehicles. He told workers during a staff meeting this week, per Bloomberg, quote, Yes, I am worried about Wolfsburg. I want that your children and grandchildren can still have a secure job here with us in Wolfsburg. That's my point today. That's why I'm here, end quote. The Wolfsburg plant is the Volkswagen Group's main manufacturing facility where it churns out some 800,000 vehicles per year across multiple brands. Tesla poses a significant threat to Volkswagen and any other industry giant that moves too slowly as the general appetite for EVs grows. Dies points out that the new Tesla factory outside Berlin is slated to produce a half a million cars a year with a workforce of 12,000 people. For comparison, Volkswagen's largest factory needs 24,000 workers to do so. So the truth that Deese is sharing is that the trend that they currently are working with is unsustainable. If Volkswagen doesn't increase productivity, it won't be competitive in the marketplace. That will translate into lower sales, which in turn means fewer cars produced and fewer workers needed to build them. And that just seems like business 101, but many inside the company are not happy with his message. They are also not happy that Elon Musk was allowed to dial in on the most recent meeting with senior managers. And Dees hasn't been holding back his praise of Musk or Tesla, and that hasn't really gone down very well, particularly with the Works Council. And that's roughly the equivalent of the UAW in Germany. It's their big union, and it also holds several seats on the supervisory board. Daniela Cavallo, the head of the Works Council, has criticized Dees recently for his blunt communication style, which she told Reuters has created concerns among the workers. And who wouldn't be concerned if they think they're being told that they are going to lose their jobs soon? She said, quote, We're tired of hearing time and again that the Works Council is apparently only concerned with preserving the status quo, end quote. And she also added that the workers and labor representatives are backing the proposed overhauls. So it seems that it's one thing to often refer to Musk as a heroic figure, but apparently inviting him to the meeting with supervisors was a bridge too far for some. 
Cavallo continued saying, quote, the fascination that you apparently feel for Mr. Musk and the effort you're making in staying in contact with him, we would welcome if it was the same for the huge challenges the company currently faces. And for his part, Deese told those at the most recent meeting, quote, I'm being frequently asked why I keep comparing us with Tesla. I know this is annoying to some. Even if I no longer talk about Elon Musk and Tesla, they'll still be there and revolutionizing our industry, and they keep getting more competitive quickly. Only as a team can we make Volkswagen future-proof, end quote. So it's obvious that Deese recognizes the elephant in the room they're talking, he's talking about it. You know, he wants to say, look, if we stop talking about this, that's not going to make it go away. This is something that has to be dealt with now if Volkswagen's going to stay competitive. And it seems that Herbert Deese isn't the only CEO with his sights set on Tesla as the main competition going forward. Recently, Ford's CEO, Jim Farley, held an internal meeting with some 20,000 Ford employees, and a good portion of that meeting was about their competition, primarily Tesla. The Detroit Free Press was able to get a copy of the video of the meeting, and according to it, Farley said that Ford needs to take Tesla seriously as the dominant player in the EV market. And the Detroit Free Press article noted that Farley mentioned Volkswagen and Rivian as well. Farley's main focus, however, was on Tesla. The article noted that Farley's tone was rather serious while discussing Tesla and that he emphasized that Tesla was operating from a position of strength. Farley said, quote, If Ford was a trillion-dollar company, our stock would be worth about $250 a share. Think about the value creation of Tesla right now. And they have resources, smart people, and the Model 3 is now the best-selling vehicle in Europe. Not electric. Flat out. It was the best-selling vehicle in the UK. Most months, it's the best-selling vehicle in California. Not just electric, but overall. If we're going to succeed, we can't ignore this competition anymore. End quote. He continued to say, look at Tesla. Why are they doing what they're doing and what can we learn from them? First, they have a direct model. There's no one in between. They make it so easy. Three or four clicks configuring the vehicle with not a lot of complexity to delivering it to the customer. Simple, non-negotiated pricing and a large reservation system as well as remote service. Secondly, Tesla maximizes use of electrons in the vehicle. No one does it better than they do. Their customers pay less for a better battery. And third, he said, the product itself is highly differentiated from the rest of the ICE field and complexity is tiny compared to OEMs, end quote. This is coming from the CEO of Ford. It seems that finally legacy automakers are starting to recognize Tesla as the primary threat to the future of their business. And for the next story, I have to give a shout out to listener John Jackson about this. This was not something that came across my radar, and I'm super glad that he mentioned it to me. So thank you, John. Appreciate it. The Japanese motorcycle manufacturer Kawasaki has announced that by the year 2035, in developed countries, it will sell only electric motorcycles. Electrek writes that the timeline is one of the furthest set for a shift to electric vehicles, and the commitment leaves room for the continued sale of gas-powered motorcycles in developing countries but it represents a major promise from a company which has yet to put a single production electric motorcycle on the road. And to break down the goals further, Revzilla reports that Kawasaki plans to introduce 16 new motorcycle models per year and eight new off-road four-wheelers and personal watercraft per year by 2025. Of those, at least 15 are supposed to be electric. 
And not surprisingly, here in the U.S., Kawasaki sees the off-road four-wheeler market to be, as they say, the most promising area in terms of prospects for market expansion going forward. And as a result, the company's strategy is to introduce an average of eight new models per year by 2025 in the four-wheeler segment. So to support that, Kawasaki is expanding its factory in Nebraska, where it began producing motorcycles in 1975, and is building a new factory in Mexico that is scheduled to begin production in 2023. And here's where things start to get interesting. For those of us who are familiar with the Japanese government's obsession with hydrogen fuel systems and how that has influenced other manufacturers like Toyota, Honda, and uh, Mazda, you know, they have been influenced by the Japanese government to focus on hydrogen-powered passenger vehicles. Well, Kawasaki also has an H2-powered bike in the works. And of course, with hydrogen, there are still a lot of hurdles to overcome, not only in the development of the engine, but more significantly in the creation of a viable hydrogen supply network, the bike's own hydrogen fuel tank, and filling methods. But Kawasaki has been working on an entire ecosystem of hydrogen-related products and technologies across its span of products over a decade already. So if anyone is going to be capable of doing something like this, it would be them. That's not to say that they should. And I'm not sure that I've mentioned my own thoughts related to hydrogen-powered vehicles for the road before. And honestly, I'm not sure many of you would care. But here it is. Hydrogen in powertrains for smaller vehicles is a horrible idea. There, now you know how I feel about it. Actually, the best case for hydrogen-powered anything would be commercial jetliners and the largest of boats like cargo ships or cruise ships. Smaller vehicles like cars, passenger vehicles, motorcycles, they're best powered by batteries. End of story. And I'm not going to dive into the rabbit hole about why, but perhaps that would be a good topic for a special podcast episode. I'll keep it in mind. If it is something that you all would want to hear about, let me know. Seriously, I'm happy to rant about uh, the downside as well as some of the benefits of hydrogen power for at least a good 20 minutes or something like that. Okay, and the last EV news story I have for you this week is about Airspeeder, the newly formed electric vehicle racing league that uses eVTOL vehicles or electric vehicle or elect yeah electric vertical takeoff and landing. Uh, so they're flying cars. Airspeeder actually successfully completed its first competitive test in South Australia. The contest put two teams head to head as an early development series of the eVTOL Grand Prix in 2022 and a global competition league by 2023. And the expedition marks not only the first eVTOL race in history, but also a turning point in the preseason testing. Airspeeder has been working at full speed since only a few weeks ago it performed the first flight of an octocopter, and a few days later, a dual test to visualize how the two cars behaved in the air. And now the company presents to the world this competition to make the dream of seeing racing in the skies a reality. For this test, this drag race, the speeders were operated remotely by pilots who were sitting in ground-based cockpits, and they used virtual reality first-person view suits to control the eVTOL aircraft. 
Matthew Pearson, director of Airspeeders, said, quote, We are about to make motorsports and mobility history with the world's first electric flying car races. End quote. He assured that this event offers the world a glimpse into the next generation of motorsport and mobility and represents an important moment in the creation of the sport, as well as being a major step forward for the development of electric flying cars. The series plans to launch the league in 2023 and have 10 teams from around the world compete with pilots in the speeders. So the tests involved remote piloting, but for the real deal, they are going to actually have people inside the vehicles. So we've been waiting for flying cars forever. Here they finally are. And of course, what's the first thing we're going to do? Go racing. So that's your show for this week. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Share this with your friends, anybody that you might know that's interested in electric vehicles. Get it in front of them. Let them listen. Let them watch. I do invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com. You can always leave a comment on the YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe so that you'll get all the future shows delivered to you automatically. If you want to listen to any of the previous shows, you can find them on the webpage under the podcast section and on many of the major podcast platforms, including, as of today, we've now been added to Facebook podcasts, which, honestly, I didn't even know existed. <laughs> so uh, you can check that out if you go to the Facebook page, EV Resource. Uh, it's facebook.com slash EV Resource 1. But if you just search EV Resource, you'll find it. There is a tab now that says Podcasts. So you can listen to this right from Facebook. So that's it. Thank you so much for being with me and I'll catch you next week.